0: Handle on the news. Handle on the news! Shut up, Bill. Sound like a dying donkey, weirdo. And now, here's Bill Handle.
1: All right, it is a uh, Tuesday. A little froggy yesterday. I was uh, a little bit rough on my throat. And it seems that way uh, again. And there's no good reason for it. I'm feeling fine. I'm not suffering from a cold. Just don't know.
2: Were you screaming last night at uh, Dodger newcomer Walker Bueller and his amazing fastballs? Is that why?
1: No. Oh, Is he related to Ferris Bueller? (laughs) Probably not. I'm such a big sports fan. All right. Uh, good morning, uh, Jennifer Jones-Lee. Hi, Handel. And uh, Wayne Resnick. Good morning. And ours, Alex.
3: Good morning.
1: And uh, John Ramirez. We have uh, two uh, Mexicans or uh, Hispan- Latinos here. Right? We've got uh, the-, the lovely Alex Razo. We have Ramirez. We have one Brazilian, Handle. hmm Uh-huh. And uh, we have uh, a couple of white people. Well, that's not true. That's not true because Wayne is uh, Jewish, so that's technically white, but we all know the difference. Uh, and I think, Jennifer, you may be the only
2: one. Are you the only wasp
4: on the show? I guess. I don't know. My people are like German and Swedish. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty. That's and- pretty. No, not the Sicilian
1: part. Let's leave the German and Swedish there. Uh, and you were raised in uh, what uh, religious background,
4: if any? Uh, I went to a Lutheran church, but my parents were Southern Baptists and my brother decided he was Nazarene. I don't know. We were kind of all over the map. The,
1: uh, Lutheran absolutely wasp. (laughs) Uh, Nazarene. Uh, I don't know what Nazarenes are. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Very religious. Yeah, they're very religious. I can see that. And Southern Baptists, a lot of fire and brimstone. <laughs> you know, a lot of hallelujahs screaming at the top of your lung.
4: There was just a lot of, you don't do this. I know. That went on in my household. Yeah, just know, don't do it. it. Don't ask. Just yeah. don't do it.
1: I had a rabbi who was, uh, you know, almost, if he were a Southern Baptist, it would have been perfect because uh, he would, uh, I remember, you know, the way uh, Southern Baptists scream out, you know, uh, are you ready to accept <laughs> Jesus? And Everybody screams, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rabbi was wonderful. Are you ready to take out your checkbooks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, very moving. I swear my family wasn't like
4: that, though. They're not those kind, I swear.
1: Okay. All right, guys. Uh, Mr. Anti-Semite at work. No, I I get grief. I I do get grief. You know that. From? From everybody. Those those are the Nazarene uh, persuasion. Is that? sort of an offshoot of uh, traditional Christianity. I mean, there are some.
4: I think so. I just remember I, my brother went to Point Loma, Nazarene, down in San Diego. Okay. And right. I remember he had to sign this, like, uh, yeah. I, I don't know, paper that he would, You're, you know. There were all kinds of rules when he uh, went to that school.
1: Do you, um, uh, there was a guy here, uh, Nick Federoff, gardening guy, who still does something on Channel 9. And he was part of a really, he is part of a very strange offshoot of christianity called the mukluks and uh or something like and i'm not talking about uh the kind of shoes that eskimo wear uh, eskimos wear uh but it's something along those lines uh, they they're christians they keep kosher they uh, celebrate passover wow i mean just very they all grow beards including the women it's very very strange all right before we get to handle on the news.
4: Uh, There's a story breaking right now. Okay, so this is in Gardena, and the LAPD is on a citywide tactical alert because of this shooting this morning. At least one person is hurt, and there may be an ongoing active shooter situation. So it started because firefighters went to this house fire on 154th Street this morning, but they've been pushed back because all of a sudden they start hearing gunshots. The shooter is apparently holed up on the second floor of a house. Part of the neighborhood has been evacuated. And Corbin Carson is on his way there right now.
1: Fair enough. And also at this moment, I'm uh, looking at uh, some uh, video of uh, the president. Actually, it's live uh, right now. The president and Melania waiting for uh, President Macron to show up. As a matter of fact, uh, the limo just pulled up and it will be uh, the president of uh, France and his wife. Who is, you know, for someone who's like 140 years old, she looks great.
2: And they're hugging. Well, and they're European kissing. How nice. That's cool.
1: Yeah, but they're air kissing. I couldn't tell if they're, if the, yeah, lips no, they're were real, no, there are, no, no, no. Donald Trump, I don't think, does lips on cheek.
2: Now the, uh, you uh, know, the, the spouses are, yeah, Trump is kissing Mrs. Macron, et cetera. Oh, yeah. and now the two ladies. And they're, but they're doing real kisses. Yeah, it's a whole lot of European kissing. Yep. All right, like both ladies in white, awkward.
1: All right, let's do it guys. While that's happening, lead story. Uh this was a tough one. Uh, news was breaking during our show. Uh that a van in Toronto uh, jumped uh into the sidewalk uh, and uh, crashed into a crowd of pedestrians. Now 10 people dead. And uh the first thing of course that comes to mind was that terrorism and according to the police, no. At this point, uh, they are eliminating terrorism. They have yet to turn this thing over to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police the (RCMP), uh, who are responsible for national security. So it's still being uh, is still being investigated as a local crime. Yep. And they don't know why this guy did it. Uh, looks like he is of Armenian descent, Alec uh, Minassian, uh, and that's all we know at this point. His name. He's 25 years old.
4: Police yesterday did finally get the Waffle House shooter.
1: Yep, we knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And, but he was on the run for 36 hours. Yeah, long time. But he was in the uh, uh, he was within a mile of his apartment apparently, right. and in the bushes or in the there was a forested area, and he was running around
4: the forest. But a female construction worker spotted him. But what was odd is he did have clothes on. Remember when he did the shooting? He yeah, didn't did, have any clothes on? So I'm assuming
1: he went back to his apartment.
4: I guess so. And then he was, put on yeah. some
1: clothes and then bailed.
4: And wait, he had a backpack that had a firearm, ammo, and a flashlight yeah. in it. But uh, this female um, construction worker saw him, called the cops. Cops show up. Detective draws a gun on him. He doesn't even resist. No,
1: hits the ground. Yep. And he looked a little crazy, didn't he? Yeah,
4: and that's even what the I construction worker said.
1: Even when he was arrested. He, he looked dazed. He, yeah, he just, just looked like he wasn't all there. All right, we'll take a break, come back, and we'll go through... A whole bunch of stories, because there's a whole bunch of news today. Uh, and uh, your chance uh, to win $1,000, brought to you by Cunning Dental. Uh, if you have loose, loose teeth, you'll be listening to this for the next 200 years. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Call 888- All those
4: I should do, but you dance, dance, dance.
0: Leaving,
1: so, so All right, KFI handle here on a uh, Tuesday. Here's your chance to win some money.
0: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword luck to 200, 200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's luck to 200, 200,
2: The winner is notified with a phone call which you must answer. Like Denman and La Habra did, he oh. won $1,000. Next chance to win next hour.
1: There, I was just asking is the Fife and Drum Corps going to appear? Uh, at uh, the ceremony, and yes, it is there. It just passed uh, Macron and uh, the president. They began, they began their evening last night with a helicopter ride down the Mount Vernon in the home of George Washington. They had dinner down there, and as I mentioned before, these these two couples seem to grow yeah. in the relationship and are a necessary one of that given the events around the world. And facing All Macron right, uh, the Fife and Drum Corps uh, is uh, part of the military service And it's a band, but they're dressed in revolutionary garb. And it is uh, these piccolos, fifes, and uh, drum. And it's just terrific. They wear wigs. And uh, they're just, uh, I love them. I love the fife and drum corps. And it is just so neat. Boy, uh, the president is pulling out all stops on this. He's just doing it. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a few flybys, uh, maybe a... uh, Demonstration of some helicopter gunships uh, blowing up uh, various uh, vehicles. I mean, just really good stuff.
4: It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, God, I love this. Anyway, uh, the president is literally doing everything uh, to impress Macron. In the meantime, Merkel is coming. Uh, Oh, I wonder what he does uh, to her. uh, Is he going to shake her hand this time? Basically, just shake her hand, but nothing. Nothing like a state dinner uh, he's, uh, I'm, I, we actually know what the menu is for, uh, the, uh, the dinner tonight, the state dinner. And it's really impressive. I'll share it with you a little bit later. Uh, Merkel, it's going to be uh burgers from in and out burger brought to, uh, the White House, which I think is probably better.
4: I was going to say not that there's anything wrong with that.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go back to the news.
2: I'm sorry. You, because you brought up the menu. I'm so sorry. You brought up the menu for their state dinner. Yeah. Uh, Can I say what it was? Sure. Uh, Rack of lamb. Nope. Yes. That's not
1: what I had read.
2: Okay, let's go through it. Rack of lamb with Carolina gold uh, rice jambalaya.
1: Okay. Uh, Do we have different information? Yeah, it could be the state dinner and the dinner at uh, Mount Vernon is different. I think it was a private dinner. we're talking about two different dinners. Yeah, there's two different dinners
2: there. Well, here's my point. So one of them is rack of lamb with jambalaya. And some guy on Twitter, not just some guy... Somebody who's blue check marked and has, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand followers, tweeted, and I thought maybe he was joking, but he wasn't. He said they should serve American food like fried chicken and mashed potatoes and not this frou frou unpronounceable food. Because apparently he doesn't know what jambalaya is. That's fantastic. But you've <laughs> so you've got the menu for the steak dinner.
1: I think uh I think I do, and I don't know where it is. Hold on a moment. Uh, oh, I know, because this is... Is it
4: for Mercury News? Because I have one, too.
1: Uh, yeah, let me see it. Let me see. Let me print it for okay. you. Okay, no, go ahead and just read it.
4: Okay, well, let's see. For Tuesday's dinner, which is tonight, the chef will prepare a three-course meal of green salad, rack of lamb with rice, and okay. Oh, that's, and that's green tonight. tonight, yeah.
1: That's tonight. How about the, uh, the Washington, the, uh, Mount Vernon dinner?
4: Uh, let's see. I don't know if I see that here. Okay,
1: I, it was a lot of fish, with fish sauce on top of fish. Ew. Ew. A lot of fish. Ah. Uh. Probably from the Potomac.
2: <laughs> oh, God, even worse. That's yeah. a swamp, you know. Uh, yeah. So it was swamp fish.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on. We <laughs> actually right. have some stories to do.
2: Yeah. Hey, uh, former President George H.W. Bush is in the hospital with a blood infection. Yeah. One day. Just after burying right. his wife One in 73 day,
1: years. She's buried on Saturday. He goes into the
2: hospital on Sunday they say he's responding to treatment, which is great. So that is good news. Yeah, but
1: anytime a 93 year old goes into the hospital with any kind of infection, it is uh, problematic.
4: All right, uh, a lot of people showed up at the Ventura City Council meeting last night because they want to know what happened after that dad got fatally stabbed by a homeless guy.
0: The world won't get no and
1: the uh, the rally was for action on homelessness. Interesting, not that, it was not action on crazy people who happened to be homeless. It's, the problem was, look at the homeless problem. That's where the real issue is.
2: So underneath that, underneath that is the message that the guy got stabbed and died. It's our fault. Right. It's all our collective fault. Right.
1: Had he ever worked at Disneyland, for example, and gone crazy. The fault is not his. It's Disneyland. That's what we have to look at. Well, I mean, that's the analogy I'm making, and I think it's legit.
4: And I, I believe that the venture, the police chief in Ventura, they have admitted that his officers should have responded to reports of this disruptive man, and instead they apparently looked at pier cams, like cameras that are on the pier, to see like, and kind yeah, of judge the situation. But
1: he wasn't a threat. And had cops shown up and looked at him, he wasn't a threat. What, what are they supposed to do? I'm just – if – you're talking about uh, someone who appears not to be a threat. Do they go ahead and, for example, pat him down? Which, of course, is an instant lawsuit for illegal search.
4: Right. And they.
2: they right. He no, says... no,
4: because if he's yelling, if no, he's acting
2: no. erratically, they could certainly do the, the Terry stop where they can frisk him for weapons. They would have, I assume, found the knife on him and they might have been able to disrupt whatever the a... cycle was in his head. Do we know how big a knife that was?
4: No. Was it a pocket it a plate, knife, or? for
1: example? And I don't know. I mean, if it was a honking kitchen knife, that's one thing.
4: But the, the chief says, our guys looked at the security cameras on the pier. They didn't see any behavior that appeared to be concerning or significantly right. disruptive. And all hmm. of our patrol units were tied up on other calls.
1: All right, let's take a break and we'll come back. Uh, this is KFI, Jennifer Jones. And, right. and this is a KFI handle here. It is a uh, Tuesday we're just talking to Alex about the gifts that are exchanged every time there's a state visit gifts are exchanged and uh, it's um, in this case she was asking uh, why for example a, an oak tree that had been uprooted from Bella Wood which is uh, a, a site a, a war site uh, Bella Wood is a very famous battleground uh, in France 9,000 Americans died and uh, it is, uh, there's a lot of significance to Bellawood. There is uh, a lot of Americans are, are buried there. And it is American land. It was given by France to the United States, much like the American cemetery in Normandy. And it belongs to the United States. And I didn't know that until I had visited Bellawood. And because there's no sign, uh, it's it's just, it doesn't say American land going in. I noticed the, uh, on one of the cross streets, a little crossroad inside of Bella Wood, uh, it wasn't kilometers. It was miles, too. And I asked the guide, I go, it, it says miles, not kilometers, to the nearest town. And he goes, that's because this is American land. Oh, it was given by France to the United States. So it's a park, the Bella Wood Park. Just a little... Factoid. Oh, I what I have know. for breakfast Yeah, I have no idea. I don't remember at all.
2: Okay. All right, here we go. Hey, uh, Senator Rand Paul is really getting into the habit of caving. Of oh, course, really over is. the budget. And now uh, over the nomination of Mike Pompeo to be Secretary of State, which he was saying he would not vote for Adamant Mike Pompeo. And at the last minute he said, well, I got Mike Pompeo to admit to me, Rand Paul, that the uh, Iraq war was a mistake, and so now I'm okay with it. And so he voted for him. Pompeo's an interesting guy. Uh, first in his class at West Point
1: and Harvard Law. I mean, that is no small deal. And, uh, and, he's, and he's big. He's like I do, which is very impressive. And he almost certainly is going to be confirmed. Oh, yeah,
4: it's a done deal. Yeah,
1: it's a done deal.
4: Oh, Mr. Sean Hannity, did you really get HUD help on some of your property deals? I spoke to Sean
0: Hannity. Everybody refuses to call
1: Sean Hannity. Now, I don't know what the big deal is here. he It's a real estate deal like everybody, anybody else's. Uh, it's not no allegation of special favors or any connection he has where he was put first in line from HUD. This is available to everybody. And he did it. And he did it uh, through shell companies, which... People do all the time. Yeah.
2: There's only – and I don't know if this is a thing or not, but he did interview Ben Carson, head of HUD, and he didn't during the interview reveal that he had received this HUD help. And I don't know, Jen, you're the journalist here. I mean would would there have been a journalistic ethical reason that he should have said something like, oh, by the way – yeah. I got a lot of help not from really. HUD on the don't business so. deals. So I don't think so.
4: Not. I don't think so. Not really. But but he did. He says he didn't even know that these mortgages that he had through these shell companies had HUD assistance in them now, or HUD insurance. I once so owned, he had no idea.
1: I once owned a piece of property uh, that was owned uh, instead of by us, Marjorie, uh, and I. It was an LLC we set up, and uh, only because uh, I didn't want my name on it. Yeah. And it was uh, it was an LLC. It was, if I remember, it was called this is not a handle property LLC. And okay. it was uh, And I just got tired of filing another tax return, which you have to do for every one of these LLC. So it goes back to this is a handle property.
2: So I don't know that this is really the scandal that the headlines. No, are. It isn't at all. The point yeah, is,
1: it isn't good. at all. And they're just making a lot of hay.
2: Speaking of housing, uh, here in California, activists want to make it easier for local communities to pass tougher rent control laws.
1: And We'll do more of this at 720, but there is such a fundamental flaw in their argument that it undercuts everything they're arguing. And I don't care what side of the rent control. Let's say you are on the side of rent control that you want to make housing more affordable for people. And you do that through rent control, uh, which the city of Los Angeles has to some extent. There are a lot of exceptions, but Santa Monica has to no extent. And But there's an underlining flaw which will not make it ever work. And I'll share that with you at 720. Tease, tease,
2: tease.
4: Well, CA says, see you later, USA.
2: I'll be there
0: right away.
4: Well, at least some backers, anyway, of this... California independence oh. idea. They apparently can go ahead and collect signatures why, to see if they can make it to the ballot. Why
1: they spend that kind of money I don't know. when they can use it for such good and they don't. It's, there's zero chance of California ever becoming, in this case, three
2: states. And not being part of the United States anymore.
4: This one, yeah, this is separate. They
2: want to secede from uh, the United they just States. want to out completely. Which is which is crazier? Split us into three states, but we're still states, or California secedes and is its own. Probably country?
1: seceding is the crazier one, but uh, not, not by, by much. much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, who who are more alien? People live on <laughs> Venus or Mars. <laughs>
2: You know, if you drive down the freeways, you get the impression from those freeway signs that texting while driving is a huge, huge deal, but not so much to your insurance company.
1: With one eye on the road, one eye on my phone, I text it in the drive through order. There's for my a, mom, a, a group
2: Thanks. out of Texas called Zebra. They basically help people compare auto insurance rates and stuff, so they have a lot of data. They say that getting a ticket for texting and driving. Generally, your insurance rate goes up only 16%, which is much less than what it will go up for driving too slowly or improperly passing a school bus, not to mention if you're too young or too old, where they really jack the premiums up. Apparently, insurers are not adding that much to the premium if you get caught.
1: I mean, they have to. You see signs say if you get caught drunk driving, it's not only jail time, but it's also what it costs you is a fortune. And it does. It's about $10,000. It costs you about 10 grand being caught with a DUI and insurance, what it's going to cost you for years. Something similar should be done. Not to that extent, obviously, but certainly more than just a minuscule jacking up of your insurance rate. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll come back and finish it all up. KFI AM. here on a uh, Tuesday. Big stories that were covering the Toronto attack. Now 10 people dead. They caught the Waffle House shooter. And as we speak, uh, the presidents of France and the United States are, boy, they're still doing the White House ceremony. My God. Trump is throwing everything he can, plus the kitchen sink. Wait a minute. There's a kitchen sink. Wow. Let's do more Handle on the News. Jennifer Jones, Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me.
4: Well, yesterday, our big story was about the driver in Toronto that drove his rented van into a crowd of people. Well, there was a guy who drove his car into a group of people in downtown L.A. Oh, please let me sleep. He, too, had a rented vehicle. But he went and mowed down a group of people because he was mad they woke him up from a nap.
1: Yeah, damn right. No one wakes him up with a nap from a nap. His name they is. asked
2: him for a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. He, which, by the way, if somebody's sleeping in their car, and you wake them up to it's ask asterisk. them for a if they have a cigarette. I can I can see that. Wait, you're not saying he was justified in no 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 no, no. but
1: I can see him being angry. Sure. Now they translate now it shouldn't translate into running them over.
2: A man stole a Coors beer truck. Took it on a two-mile joyride, abandoned it, was arrested, and the real story here is what he was wearing:
5: no shirt,
2: some kind of loosely tied sneakers, and dirty American flag shorts. A patriot, I I guess. I notice
1: this is Coors beer; it's not Heineken. That's
2: right. It's not Sapporo. Right.
1: This American. is a. It's not Corona. Those wearing American
2: shorts, he's stealing
1: American beer. Absolutely. Great legal case, Jen.
4: Oh, man. And the monkey loses. Yeah. Remember the, that story about the monkey who yeah, grabbed The this.
1: selfie? <laughs> Great. And it went all over the
4: world. I mean, this is a big. Big deal. Yeah, he grabs the photographer's camera and the monkey starts taking pictures of himself. I got I have the pictures up at KFIAM640.com keyword wake up call this morning. But um somebody decided that the monkey needed to sue over copyright oh, infringement. PETA. Well, of course.
1: PETA's the one that filed on the monkey's behalf.
4: So but did PETA go up to the monkey and go, monkey? We think you're getting screwed here.
1: No, I think what PETA did is file for guardianship on, or on behalf of the monkey. I don't know how they got that part far. <laughs> I don't even know how he got far enough to where uh, the federal appeals court had to rule.
2: Well, what happened is they they, they sued in district court, and the district court judge said, "Get out of here!" This right, is no standing. And then they were they were they filed an appeal, but then they settled. They settled the case, and PETA ends up getting some kind of money out of the deal. But the Ninth Circuit said, you know, we know you settled the matter. We're still going to issue a ruling on this case anyway because we want to be on record saying how stupid this lawsuit was. Because PETA
4: said, look, U.S. copyright doesn't specify authors have to be human. And the federal judges said— The court said yes. Well, they said yeah.
1: Although it's a very good uh, question. What happens when a computer writes— Oh. Or it takes a photograph on its own, artificial intelligence. Oh, the argument would be, of course, uh, well, that's the, not the, a person either. Who, who, is it who hardware? Owns the... is, it soft, is it the software oh. people who own it? You know, this is not all that far-fetched when you start going into the world of artificial intelligence.
2: Although you still are ending up with the question of which human being right, or has which, the rights. Or which company. Yeah. Because companies have rights to sue. As Ronald,
1: uh, as uh, Romney would say. Companies are people, too, which they
2: are legally. He just shouldn't have said that. Uh, we got a smuggling problem here in California, and it's, it's not drugs. It's plants, particularly a plant called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, a Dudleya, And it's a succulent plant. It grows abundantly, well, not so abundantly anymore in Northern California and apparently over in Asia. They love these plants, and so it is big business to go out, dig them up, and ship them overseas. And uh, they caught this big smuggling ring and and shut it down. And it's uh, no
1: small deal, smuggling plants, especially if it's a protected plant. Right, which this is. You know, for example, if you grab one of those uh, Segura cactuses, uh, protected under federal law, you pull one of those out, you're going to jail for years.
4: And on that note, one more little PSA this morning for you. Don't, like, try and bill over excessive fajita deliveries. Fajitas. Yeah.
1: Now, the facts of this story are kind of, uh, okay, Uh, you have a guy who works for a detention center, and he orders, uh, over the course of years, $1.2 million uh, worth of fajitas delivered, and fajitas are not on the menu, so uh, he just... Of course, uh moved him over, bypassed the detention center and sold him. The interesting part is he got fifty years in jail for that. That's what? just had it. he killed three employees who would have gotten twenty five
4: years. I wonder if it's because of the length for which he was overbilling the know. government. I don't know, Because this 1. went on for nine years. I
1: know but still and one point two million dollars would give him a worth of Fajitas, but, but 50 years.
2: The, the prosecutor said you have to slam him to send a message that public employees cannot steal because you're basically stealing from all of us.
1: But that's welfare fraud. Does the yep. same thing. I know. IRS fraud. You're not going to get 50 years from the IRS when you screw them out of money, which is, again, all of our money. I don't get it. All right. So much for that. All right. Coming up, the Toronto attack. And uh, what can police do to prevent vehicles being used as weapons? And we're going to talk to Steve Gomez, who is an ABC News security contributor and a former FBI agent. That's coming up. KFI AM 640.
2: Say something on you.
1: And uh, this is KFI handle here on a Tuesday, April twenty fourth. Some of the uh, big stories that we are covering this morning: uh, the Waffle House shooter yesterday was captured. Travis uh, Ryan King, you can tell he's kind of nuts. And uh, George H. W. Bush, a day after his wife Barbara is buried, is in the hospital with a blood infection. And thank goodness we're hearing that he is recovering. All right, uh, now let's turn to the Toronto attack. And This one uh, took us for a loop. Well, not really. We are not surprised it happened. And the first thing that comes to mind is uh, this is another terrorist attack. Terrorist attack using vehicles. We have Nice, we have Berlin, where uh, you have uh, some uh, obviously deluded human being who is driving down the street and just pulls over onto the sidewalk and just takes out a group of people. Although this one is a little bit different. Uh, Steve Gomez, ABC News security contributor and former special agent with the FBI. Uh, Steve, first of all, thanks for joining us. And um, let's talk about some of the facts and then uh, how this is different. And then maybe a minute or talking about can this ever be defended against?
3: Well, Thank you for having me on, and uh, we've seen this so many times all over the world, uh, Europe, here in the U.S. New York City was the most recent one, which was a a brutal attack there in uh, Manhattan. And 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 so you can't always think that this is terrorism nowadays because this method of attack has been expressed by ISIS to its followers to go out and use this method. And now you have a lot of people that are willing to accept that method. They're not ISIS followers, but they're willing to do a copycat. And so you have to determine through the investigation whether this is terrorism or not. You need to know what the motive is in order to deal with these types of situations moving forward.
1: Well, even if we know what the motive is, uh, and there are going to be many different motives, for example— at this point they don't even know what the motive is of uh, this uh, driver Alec exactly. Manassian we know he's of Armenian descent uh, was he a Canadian is he a Canadian national uh, what are his politics? We have heard nothing so far
3: exactly they're they're doing the investigation they're working up the background on this guy he's alive so they're going to be able to hopefully talk to him to try to figure out you know what was going on in his mind and uh, try to get down to the bo- the bottom of the motive. But nevertheless, they are going to have to deal with um, these types of situations, both in Canada. And it's, even, it, it's, it's really horrible for Canada because th- this was a random type of an attack. This wasn't targeting one of their facilities like we've seen about four years ago. This is very random. It's going to create a lot of fear. So now Canada has to think like we've been thinking here in the U.S., all over in Europe. How do we deal with these types of attacks where a vehicle is going to hop a curb and come after pedestrians?
1: And The only way I can think in terms of a defense, and obviously we've all been thinking about this many times since all of these attacks, is other than putting up those stanchions, those barriers, those steel barriers like you see uh, in parking lots, for example, or you see around American embassies, that literally will stop anything from going through and put those up on every walkway in the city where people congregate. How do you defend
3: so he, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm here right now. Uh, I, I got to say that in LA we do a great job in dealing with this type of situation. And you probably remember that that incident that occurred in Santa Monica many many years
1: yes, ago. Yes, with that older man who uh, exactly. yeah mistook it, the uh, gas pedal for the brake.
3: Exactly. That had nothing to do with terrorism. He I, we we don't we didn 't hear anything about any mental health issues. He just made a mistake, and that was the third street promenade and uh, And what happened? It was shortly after that that they they put up some some you know some barriers, some ballers, you know just some, some fixtures that were going to prevent any vehicle. Um, from gaining access into third street promenade. So the key is now when, when you're dealing with active shooters, terrorism, or anybody getting access uh, to a certain area to commit an attack, such as a vehicular attack, the key involved the crowds. They are looking for mass carnage, mass casualties. And so we now, you know, as a city, both city officials, law enforcement and the public have to recognize that if you are in a crowd or in an area where there are a lot of people, you're in a targeted area. That, that's where these, you know, deranged individuals are looking to target. And so now the city has to start thinking about those types of areas, like L.A. Live, downtown Pasadena, or Street Promenade, like we, like, like we were just talking about. Those are the places that strategically have to have these types of uh, fixtures and barriers, and they, and they can be done very nicely, and we've seen that. They, they don't have to be so you know, intrusive to the public, but they need to position those types of barriers so the public can go walk around and enjoy themselves All right, now, not have lem- to worry about a vehicle.
1: All right, let me throw something at you. Steve. And that is uh, specifically the third street promenade that, uh, since you're here and you know about it in Santa Monica, it has become a, they, they took a street and it has become a public walkway. Uh, so no vehicles are allowed on it, but on either side are those barriers, those metal, those big metal poles that are right. maybe uh, six inches thick. And so a car or a vehicle can't get through there. And, uh, so That's fairly easy because it's on one side and the other of the several block walkway. What do you do when you have a sidewalk where people by the thousands congregate? New York, for example, on Broadway in the middle of the summer when you've got thousands of people and what a target that is.
3: How do you defend there? That's incredibly difficult because ultimately, are you going to have bollards and fixtures everywhere? Well, I mean. If you could do it, you know, if if the the city has the funding to do that, and if you could do it in a way that isn't going to, you know, uh, you know, create, you know, uh, obstruction, like, then, then, yeah, you got to consider doing that because that's unfortunately the world that we're living in, and you want people to be able to enjoy the city and their surroundings. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to the vehicular attack. There are no red flags that are going to pop up when somebody goes and rents a vehicle or decides to use their own vehicle to go out there and, and mow down people in, in a certain area. That, that involves – and this is another issue that, that needs to be continuously pursued is uh, you have to look for those people that are having problems, you know, mental health issues, talking about suicide or talking about hurting people, and you've got to report them to law enforcement. Law enforcement has to be able to work with mental health officials and, and, yeah. and, and various public safety – to deal with those individuals as well. So it's a, it's a combined effort, not only the security measures that are in place, but then you gotta have that coordination between the public and law enforcement and uh, health.
1: All right, Steve, thank you much. Very good. Thank Greatly you. appreciated. Uh, at this point, uh, here's uh, what we do know or don't know in terms of uh, this uh, Alec uh, Minasian, uh, who is suspected of uh, being uh, the driver of that uh, van that mowed down and killed uh, 10 people and 15 injured, uh, is that the investigation has not been turned over to uh, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, that effectively is the FBI, uh, the federal authorities in uh, in Canada. So it's being handled uh, in Toronto as a local crime. Like the city of Los Angeles would put the LAPD on it and not turn it over to the feds because uh, there is no, quote, terrorism at this point suspected. That's all we know. That's all we know. All right, uh, coming up, uh, Garcetti's rent control idea. Fundamental flaw, big flaw that makes it untenable. And uh, coming up after the break, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you have grandkids and uh, they're at some point going to be listening to KFI, we'll still be doing this uh, this <laughs> contest. If you have crooked teeth, call Cunning Dental for free exams. Call 888-640-SMILE. Okay? kfi handle here on a uh, tuesday morning and here is your chance to uh, win some cash
0: your shot at one thousand dollars now text the keyword bank to 200 200 you'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info standard data and messaging rates apply that's bank to 200 200
2: they notify the winner by calling them. You have to pick up that call. Joyce and Artesia did, and she is $1,000 richer. Your next chance to win, next hour.
1: All right. Uh, before we get into rent control, and uh, Jennifer, I'm surprised you didn't do uh, this story. And this is breaking news that just came in out of uh, Clinton, Missouri. Uh, the testicle festival has been canceled.
4: Wow. Yep. I didn't know. Yep. I would have led with it.
1: Uh, yep. Uh, The home of Rocky Mountain Oysters, uh, it's over. Uh, Attendance has declined. Too many fights, too many fatalities. So uh, for those of you that are always looking forward to going to the Testicle Festival, uh, it's done. You ever had them? Mountain Oysters? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, someone once... But I didn't know they were Mountain Oysters. And? Uh, And then when I found out they were Mountain Oysters... It's more the thought of it yeah, than yeah. Uh, the actual, for example, I've had tongue, beef oh. tongue, oh. Uh, which is good, but you grow up with it uh, depending on your, you know, where you come from. In France, you have horse, and they do a lot of organ meats in France. In Redding, we had squirrel. Of course you did. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. See, I just took you for your word. All right, <laughs> now, uh, let's quickly move to uh, rent control. Uh, the mayor... Uh, Eric Garcetti, who is going to be run uh, running for president uh, and has no chance of ever getting elected, uh, is now talking about extending rent restrictions, rent control in Los Angeles. And the reason is because housing uh, simply is non-existent. Renting in Southern California, whether it's here in Los Angeles, Orange County, it doesn't matter where, uh, is prohibitively expensive. People just can't afford to do it. So one of the ways that uh, government can force the issue of making it more affordable is to throw on rent control, capping rent increases, which Los Angeles has to some extent. Now, there are some exceptions. Uh, One of them, for example, um, if an apartment was built after 1995, uh, actually, uh, it's 1978, rent stabilization uh, landlords uh, can increase rent annually on tenants uh, living in apartments before 1978, but after that time, uh, can't do it. Can't do it. So, there are restrictions. For example, family housing, single-family dwellings, there's no rent control. Multi-family dwellings, there are. There is all kinds of rent control. So, what Garcetti wants, and rent control advocates, is throwing rent control on everything. Now, in and of itself, does that make it more affordable? Well, problem is there's a, there's a few fundamental problems. And then there's one that it cannot be just, unless it's dealt with, it simply could never work. And one of the problems is if you have a rent-controlled uh, place, you're never moving out. Ever. There are some pre-war, pre-World War II apartments in New York that are still renting for $300 a month. And they're just handed down because New York has such rent control. Santa Monica, same thing. No one is moving out of Santa Monica because it's just to to leave rent control to go into a building that's not because right now, once a building, uh, once an apartment is empty, there's no more rent control. It's what the market will bear, except that's one of the exceptions in Los Angeles and what the, uh what Garcetti is proposing is that the rent stays the same. And it becomes a lottery win. If you move into the one apartment where someone has moved out then no one's ever going to move out, you get the lottery. You get that win. So the number of people that would ever move is limited because no one's crazy enough to move when you have rent control. And here's the other problem. Here's the fundamental flaw in this. And that is... If you have rent control, then you're not going to have much new housing. It has to pan out for developers. No one is interested in building houses in which they don't make money. So that means either the government subsidize, which is HUD housing, Section 8, or they remove rent control. And then here's the other problem, is at the same time, the advocates of rent control are screaming that it's not affordable, that we have to make housing more affordable. They're the very people that stopped the building. Even that state law, which is now in the works to create an environment, a building environment that bypasses local city ordinances, bypasses local councils, bypasses local planning commissions, and says, we have to make it easier Every single one of these cities say, no one's going to screw with our ability to stop building. That's our purview. And if you're in the city of Los Angeles, for example, to a lesser extent, Orange County, the local authorities are going to do everything they can to make sure that building new housing becomes almost impossible. They don't like building. What they do like is more people living there. At rent control prices, that they like. We like black, but we also are stopping you from building black. We want white. What? Wait, wait, wait. There's a contradiction there. You can't have both together. Oh, yeah, we want both together. Rent control and no new housing. Well, there you go. How's that for logic? All right. We're going to move over to another topic about some land uh, that's in south-central. Or it's just now South L.A. I don't think you can use South Central anymore for some crazy reason. It's been sitting there vacant. It's the largest piece of land that can be built on. And it's been bouncing back and forth like a ping pong ball. The government, the owner, what are they going to do with it? Uh, You have a blighted landscape. All of that coming up. kfiam 64
0: Where will you see?
1: A handle here on a uh, Tuesday. Uh, the big stories that we're uh, covering uh, the Toronto attack. Uh, the uh, driver, Alec Manassian, who has been charged with uh, 10 counts of first-degree murder. Yesterday caught the Waffle House shooter. Travis Reinking, uh, 29 years old. Uh, not all there. And uh, a monkey can't sue for copyright infringement. That's what Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, has just ruled. Okay. Now... Uh, The Watts riots of 1992, Los Angeles riots, destroyed South Central. I mean, a lot of uh, L.A. was burned, but South Central particularly was uh, burnt. Uh, a uh, African-American area, and that was uh, sort of the heart of the disenfranchised people. And unfortunately, uh, the rioters, uh, for some crazy reason, decided to burn their own neighborhood. And so you now have swaths of this area that are still undeveloped while the rest of Southern California has exploded. With real estate development, you still have huge sections, many sections of South Central that are underdeveloped. Matter of fact, blighted, empty land, burnt out buildings. There is the largest single piece of land In uh, South L.A., corner of Vermont and Manchester, owned by Eli Sasson, an Israeli, an immigrant who has had it for many years. And over the years has proposed a shopping center, a housing development, entertainment complex. The lot is the size of three football fields. That's a big lot. It's a big piece of property. And there's an interesting history behind it. He didn't develop it. The city wanted to develop it. They couldn't come to terms. The city, by eminent domain, took the land, which you can do. Eminent domain is the public taking of private land for uh, purposes of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, For the benefit of the uh, citizens. Let's say the city wants a public park and it finds that it and needs it. It can take private land to do that, and then of course it goes up. But the courts have generally given cities, states, counties the ability to take land by public domain. Of course, they have to pay uh, the value, the market value, and therein always is a fight between the owner and uh, the entity taking the land. So uh, the land was originally taken by eminent domain. And it was done through an agency that was set up by the city, which then was, uh, which then was dissolved. The agency disappeared, and so there is no longer anybody that owns the land, and it goes back to the owner, uh, Mr. Sasan. And so there it is, empty again. And guess what the city is doing? Going ahead, and taking the land by eminent domain, second time around. And the owner, Sassant, going to court and saying, I'm going to build on it, and the reason I haven't built on it because you have stopped me from building on it. Now, there is no question that this land, any building project is eligible for state money, for federal money, I mean, this is a blighted area that desperately needs help in a neighborhood that desperately needs development, that if you brought in housing and business and retail, that would do nothing but increase not only the value of the area, but simply make living there uh, easier and better and more fulfilling. So now you have Sasan, Sasan, who says, I want to build. You're not letting me build. You're taking the land. You're going to turn it over to developers. And therefore, I'm being screwed. And I have plans to build it. Okay, let's see your plans. Well, they're renderings. At this point, they're not even architectural. It's just some renderings. And he's saying, but you guys are stopping me from building. And then you're taking it. See, that's the fight that's going on. In the meantime, you have these two huge empty lots that have been sitting since 1992 waiting to be developed for a neighborhood that desperately needs development. And it's all caught up in bureaucracy. Now, uh, the city is saying that there are plenty of owners that are holding on to property until such time as they can turn them over and really make some money. Although right now at this time, how much more money can you make? I mean, this is the height of a real estate boom. But then again, I'm not a guy that owns dozens of pieces of property the way he does. So he certainly knows more than I do. Maybe he's reading the tea leaves in a way. But just to give you an idea of how almost nobody ever loses, no no city, county, state, or feds ever loses an eminent domain fight. There was a case, and I remember studying this, and we talked about it out of, I think it was Connecticut, and uh, a woman owned some uh, property, beachfront property, or was it, uh, was it beachfront? I don't remember. But in any case, it was a very valuable piece of property, and the state came in and took the land by eminent domain, and she went to court, she fought it, because you know what they were going to do? They were going to turn it over to developers, and the reason they gave the court, we're talking about the public entity, is that the the state would get a bigger tax base. Therefore, it's for the benefit of the citizens. That is such a stretch. Now, usually it's for parkland. Usually it's for a hospital that desperately needs to be built in that area. Usually it's for public housing that desperately needs to be built, but to increase the tax base and the court the court held against the woman. The courts just don't eminent, let an eminent domain die. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be delayed forever. All right, coming up, FEMA and Puerto Rico, and FEMA, of course, is very close to the heart of Jennifer Jones Lee because her husband Scott works for FEMA. There you go. She's smiling. And this is how FEMA screwed
4: up. Okay. <laughs> and Scott, particularly, by the way. I'm sure he's probably the one that gave the directive.
6: All right. What's going
0: on,
1: Jeff? It's
4: almost
1: like trade. It's almost like trade And this is uh, KFI Handle here. On a Tuesday, April 24th, some of the big stories that were covering uh, the Toronto attack, Alec Manassian. Accused of driving that van in Toronto, mowing down, uh, well, killing 10 people, injuring 15. Has just been charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. And yesterday, they caught the Waffle House shooter. And I apologize for my voice, which seems to be uh, going away this morning. And it's weird, because I feel fine. Don't have a sore throat. I'm not harboring a cold or anything. It's just the voice is going out. Good thing I don't make my living with my voice, huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, FEMA. Every time I talk about FEMA, uh, Jennifer Jones Lee uh, instantly perks up because her husband uh, is a, a, a fairly high up in the management of FEMA. I think it's fair to say. And here is what's going on right now. There is a FEMA program that has sheltered thousands of Puerto Ricans since Hurricane Maria. I mean, Hurricane Maria was one of the massive disasters. And uh, at Katrina, I can think of that. Hurricane Andrew, uh, massive natural disaster. The earthquake here in uh, 94, massive disaster, although there's very little left of, uh, of any of the aftermath of the hurricane here. But Puerto Rico, uh, that's a tough one. And so you have thousands of Puerto Ricans still displaced by Hurricane Maria. And they had housing. Through FEMA, allowing them to live in hotels uh, since the storm uh, ravaged the island seven months ago. Well, twice FEMA has threatened to cut off the temporary housing assistance. But the governor of Puerto Rico begged the federal government, you can't do that to our citizens. They still don't have housing. Matter of fact, it's hard to believe there are still communities that don't have electricity. Seven months after the hurricane hit. And in terms of rebuilding, now, the tourist places have rebuilt. Because that's tons of money coming in. I mean, that's the lifeblood of Puerto Rico. Tourism. Right now, the lifeblood seems to be people leaving Puerto Rico, unfortunately. So twice before, FEMA said, now we're going to cut off this temporary housing assistance. But the governor said, please, please don't. And every time there's a deadline, a, uh, the president of We Unite, uh, which coordinates Boston nonprofits, and has been helping hurricane victims, say, we get hysterical phone calls every single time. And she said, it's destabilizing. It's not good for families. They can't make long-term plans. They're stuck in a hotel for they don't know for how long. Don't know when the assistance is going to end. How do you get a job? How do you get your kids back in school? FEMA's also threatened in Hurricane Harvey's victims' temporary housing assistance several times. Cut assistance to Hurricane Irma victims last month. So last Friday, FEMA extended aid for 1,700 Puerto Rican families, but no one knows what's going to happen. Well, here is the problem is that the federal government decides and it's somewhere in FEMA that makes that decision. I'm assuming there is an individual or there are a group of individuals that make that decision. And then I think with FEMA decisions and I don't know the answer to that. And maybe, uh, uh, Jen, you know, the answer. I'm assuming that the decision stays in FEMA. It doesn't go up the ladder because they generally leave FEMA alone to make decisions like this. Am I right about that? I would assume so, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of out of the loop, honestly. Right. Thank you so much for your help. <laughs> Remind me to go back to you again whenever I have a question about FEMA.
4: I don't know much about the, the processes of how it works. I know how Scott's a watch commander, so I know how that works, but I don't know about how those types of decisions are made.
1: You know what? We have to have Scott on Lifeline. Like they do on, do you want to be a millionaire? You should. He's at work right now. I should ask him. And just say, hey, you got to hang on because when I have a question, so I'll go to you and go, do you need a lifeline?
4: And I'll just hit the button and boom, there's Scott.
1: And it's a good segue into lifelines because these perfect uh, Puerto Rico victims desperately need this lifeline. So the bottom line, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, One thing I think is fair to say is this particular administration is not extraordinarily generous with money going to victims like those of Maria and Irma and Katrina. it just doesn't think that way. doesn't roll that way. This administration wants to cut spending except for the military wants to cut taxes, of course, which means less revenue comes in, which means less money coming in. Now, When you look at the money that's been sent since Maria, 7,000 families have used these vouchers to stay at hotels in 40 states. Because what happens is people leave Puerto Rico, they come to the United States, continental U.S., and the government gives them housing money, vouchers for hotels. And since Maria hit, uh, people have stayed at these hotels in 40 states, and it has cost more than $64 million. $64 million in the big scheme of things seems like pennies, doesn't it? Just pennies. When you think of how much does the Tomahawk missile cost? $3 million? And they sent up 170 of them? That's a third of a billion dollars? It's a question of priorities, isn't it? All right, coming up, talk about priorities. We're going to talk to... uh, Brian Suits, Tactical Tuesdays. And a lot of it has to do with the discussion about what's going on right now with the state visit of Macron uh, in Washington. And uh, a lot of that discussion is going to happen between the two presidents. KFI AM 640. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. We're airborne. We don't start fights, finish them. FY Handle here on a uh, Tuesday, April 24th. And uh, the big stories that we're covering uh, the Toronto attack. Uh, we're uh, now finding out uh, some weird stuff. We now know what uh, the driver yelled or at least uh, uh, posted on his social media just before the attack. It's so bizarre. And we'll cover that on Handle on the News Late Edition. He's also been charged with 10 counts of murder. Isn't that lovely? It's still illegal in Canada. To uh, mow down uh, 10 people? Yeah. Okay, that's Brian Suits. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for being with us. It's yeah. a lovely drive. No, that was a goodbye. What's that? Um, just thank you uh, oh, for, okay. yeah, for your Not lovely thoughts. Yeah. All right. It's Tactical Tuesday with Brian. Brian, of course, heard uh, Saturday and Sunday here on KFI. 10 to midnight Saturday, 8 to 10 on Sunday. And whenever he's giving a talk, and I always let him plug that anytime that's coming up. All right. Uh, the president, the presidents are speaking right now to each other. Uh, president Macron, President Trump, and they've got a lot to cover, including Iran, uh, North and South Korea, uh, as well as Syria. I mean, a lot of heavy oui. duty stuff. We. Oui. We. Oui. All right, so give us a, a quick overview of what's going on.
5: The French president is coming in early in the week as le cop uh, Dubon, the good cop. Um, the German comes later this week. Uh, the, the Europeans are very interested in keeping the Iranian deal intact. Trump clearly wants to blow the thing up. And in saying that, he's already triggering the Iranians. The Iranians are about to do his job for him. And so that's why Merkel is, uh, is, is going to come here in Mach 2 to, to get Trump to back off on that before the Iranians do it for him. So, you know, if, if your rival is busy screwing themselves, why, why slow All up?
1: Right. So herein uh, is uh, the big question. Uh, because you can bet that uh, the vast majority of advisors around Trump are saying, "Do not blow up the Iranian deal." I can't imagine anybody saying other. Well, that's not true. Bolton, I know. Uh, Pompe- yeah, uh, Pompeo, Pompeo, um, Nikki Haley's not yeah, a big fan of it. Yeah, yeah. When you think about his advisors going the other way, and this is not a president who doesn't react as opposed to uh, sit down and contemplate. And the rest of the world is saying, certainly Merkel, uh, Macron, and uh, virtually all of Europe saying, do not blow up
5: the Iranian deal." Why are they saying that? Because the Iranians got 150 billion dollar front load, you know, for signing the deal. And what did they turn around and do? They, they did white people welfare with Airbus. They, they ordered 60 Airbus, uh, and for that matter, they ordered 40 Boeing aircraft. Now, uh, so it's white people welfare for Everett Washington. Now, the $150 billion, that was their money anyway. It, sure. fr- it was frozen
1: assets, sure, right? Sure, but
5: it was, interna- it was part of international sanctions. Uh, that it, it was something we wish we could have done to Hitler um, uh, or any other international actor who is a bad a dude. Like, like we're doing with, with North Korea. They don't have any frozen assets. They don't have any assets. Um, but, th- but make no mistake— Trump is setting up the upcoming May summit with Kim, with the North Koreans, South Koreans, and us at the DMZ as an example for the Iranians of, look look what good kids get. Look what happens uh, when you come when you come clean and, and maybe you want to deal up front. Though I do think, and this is important for people to understand, uh, the North Koreans have given up nothing. But they, it looks like they did. I mean, it was a grand announcement that they're going to stop nuclear tests and missile tests. Well, it's for the same reason we're no longer testing the B-52 since 1954 because we don't need to test it anymore. The well, North Koreans have their missiles and they have their nukes. But wouldn't that be – wouldn't they continue testing uh,
1: to uh, tweak it and there really is some politics involved here? Or is
5: it Kim just being so smart – And outsmarting uh, our president. He went to his people a couple months ago and he said, uh, by 2018, we need to be absolutely sure that that nuke fits on that missile and it can reenter the atmosphere over Washington, D.C. And so via, uh, you know, testing, but primarily computer model testing, they're confident that they have that. Keep in mind, you know, how many tests did we do before our A-bomb was operational on August 6th? We did one. And it wasn't even an airdrop. It was on a tower in New Mexico. Except there,
1: the exigencies, there was a war going on. Yeah. But, we, uh, but bottom
5: line, we, we and knew it was that. A, and it was a miracle that that went off. But you know what's going on in North Korea? A war. That was, that's the same thing. They feel like they're at wartime. We, 10,000 guys with slide rules made sure that that thing worked on July sixteenth, nineteen 1945 uh, uh, in New Mexico. Uh, and then uh and six weeks later or four weeks later, it was dropped via airplane and and it worked because they they said we are ninety nine percent sure that this will work. Well, Kim has the advantage of six tests just like Pakistan did india did and and China did before they mass produced so he has a mass producible warhead, which probably he was producing it before they even tested the h bomb test six meanwhile. He's got a missile that can uh, reach the east coast of the U.S. The rest is done by computer model, and we're not going to bet that he's wrong.
1: Uh, now, as far as Iran, let's go back to that for just a second. Uh, the world, or certainly uh, the Western world, looks at Iran actually living up to the deal that it cut. Yeah. And uh, Trump is saying, "We, I don't care. We're going. It was a bad deal. We're going to unravel that deal. And there is an issue of saying... I mean, is a deal a deal? And uh, the perception of the United States is not going to maintain deals if it doesn't like it.
5: Well, what Trump is going to say is: Last I read, in Article uh, One of the Constitution, is that the Senate ratifies foreign treaties. And the U.S. Senate never got a pass at this thing. It's not a valid treaty. We're we're not uh, obligated to follow it. Uh, the two largest flaws with the Iran deal, and the and Iranians knew this, and and they took advantage of Obama. Is number one, missiles aren't covered in the deal at all. John Kerry said that that would have been too complicated, and so missiles are not covered. Missile developments not covered. They're still in all all kinds of violation of UN sanctions there. And then thing two, the inspection um, regulate and the inspection regime is deeply flawed. The Iranians get to pick and choose where we get to inspect uh, and all that. And so what Trump is going to do. Is set up Iran with by rewarding North Korea for coming forth and saying we're going to stop developing um, nukes and missiles. So for the wrong reason, because they haven't working. But he wants to he wants to redo the Iran deal after the fact and say, now let's throw in missiles. All right. When we come back, here's what I want to do. I want to talk a little bit about the personal relationship that the
1: president has with Macron. He They're loved, holding hands. Yeah, he loves. They he love. It. They're kissing each other. They're French kissing
5: each other, so to he, speak. He likes handsome men.
1: Uh, he does. And uh, the horrible relationship Trump has with Merkel, and see how that pans out geopolitically. And then Syria, and why Germany will not get involved in Syria, which I find astounding and on. ironic. Uh, well, more than just ironic. Uh, I mean, stunningly. Yeah, I guess ironic is a good, but not in any positive way at all. It's ironic to a level that uh, I'm totally disgusted with. And your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you have dental problems, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Ain't no you can you got trouble Uber with an attitude. Yeah. And uh, welcome back. Handle and the warning crew, here's your chance to win some money.
0: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200.
2: They call the winner and you have to answer or you can't win. Karen in La Habra answered and won $1,000. Your next chance to win next hour.
1: All right. uh, We're back with uh, Brian Suits, Tactical Tuesday. And Brian, as we speak right now, the uh, president and uh, President Macron are talking about Syria, North Korea, uh, Iran. So there's a lot on the table. And you were just mentioning that President Trump made a rather interesting statement.
5: Yeah. In the the subject came up about Iran and the the purpose of Macron's visit, the official purpose is that it's an official visit. But he comes with it with a mandate to try to be a nice guy and talk Trump into keeping the Iran deal. Trump clearly knows this. So the, the question came up in the pool spray about, what about the uh, the Iran nuclear deal, are you tearing it up or what? And this is what Trump said. We'll find out, you'll find out about that. It won't be so easy for them to restart. They're not gonna be restarting anything. They restart it, they're gonna have big problems, bigger than they've ever had before. And you can mark it down. They restart their nuclear program, they will have bigger problems than they have ever had before. Thank you very much, everybody. And he had the extended uh, index finger when he yeah. said it the second time. Now, that time. gets
1: interesting. If they restarted after the United States abrogates the agreement as bad as it is,
5: yeah, what, do they, what does he expect them to do? Just sit back and say, okay, we're doing nothing? Yeah, well, and he, he laid down the gauntlet that we get to tear it up if we want. If, if you decide to restart your program, you're going to get what, uh, you know, you saw a little bit in Syria of how precise we can be. It's a quantum leap over 10 years ago. You don't want to do this. Wouldn't you rather come back to the table uh, and and do a missile and nuke deal?
1: Now, as far as uh, big picture uh, foreign policy as it relates to Iran and it relates to North Korea and Syria, how much is uh, the president's personal relationship with Macron have an uh, influence and the fact that Merkel, who's coming next week, Hates the president and
5: he hates her. Yeah. He, Trump clearly loves Macron. They, you know, Macron's English is impeccable or, or impeccable. Uh, and and they, they like hanging out. He likes being seen. Trump, you know, likes being seen with good looking men. Uh, and he likes having good looking men l- hump his leg, uh, and all that. And so that's that's what's going on here. It's a, it's a, it's a bromance. And at some time, and you know, Trump doesn't drink. So at some point, Macron, you know, tonight has to say, "You're not seriously thinking about abrogating this Iran thing, are you?" And if if Trump says, "For you, no," right. it's so, a joke. But when Merkel shows up, boy, what a hangover! Wake up in right. your bedroom. What did I bring home last night? Is that? Because,
1: well, first of all, she is not a good-looking man. Uh, that's for sure. She's a very handsome
5: man. Yes. Well, not particularly. But let's ask what pigs, what sexist pig bastards we are. Oh, uh, yeah, prob- she, pretty she's much. A, she's a, she's one of the longest-serving Democratic oh, leaders in Western Europe. Oh, she's one of the most powerful women in and the you're world. You're denigrating her achievement. Uh, no, not in the least. No, she's an East German. I've never liked her, and I don't know yeah. why they elected her. But, uh, and I'm just she's just not the most attractive but, person. But she arrives with the but, possibility but, but, of buying F-35. Yeah, so
1: yeah, that's what she brings to the table. But if we had an ugly uh, president, I'd make
5: just as much fun about him. So I, I want to put. I want to put that. Oh, I'm disclaiming like crazy. Uh, but, but Merkel he, shows up and she has there's the Germans are making noises like they want to buy the F-35, which would be huge because hmm. because they should be buying French. They should be buying European. So Merkel is going to try to play this game with Trump. And, and again, she's a she's grew up a communist. She can't. She's playing with the wrong guy. She's going to try to leverage him and say, hey, uh, if you stay in the Iran nuclear deal, we might buy 18 F-35 from you. Are you
1: surprised uh, that Merkel stayed out of uh, Syria and uh, the uh, uh, the allies? I
5: am, and you know what? A Especially lot of German, German t-
1: politicians are sh- stunned and shocked by because that. Because of the, the history of gassing, yes. and of all the countries that would be the most sensitive, it yeah. would be
5: Germany. And then they have, they're they saying those words, saying, uh, saying we have a moral obligation to bomb the living F out of someone who uses gas to, to slaughter five-year-olds. I mean, how— How self-aware are you, uh, Angela? Well, that is how conflict-averse she is. She has taken what the Germans have have considered to be their post-World War II virtue, that they don't get entangled in conflict anymore, and they don't, you know, overrun your country and those other annoying habits they used to have. Um, And so she's taken that to this extraordinary extreme where she has decided that force is never, ever, 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 ever the answer, even when clearly sometimes force is the answer. When you have no choice. Uh, Does that hurt her politically? I guess she doesn't care here on her fourth term. She just was reelected, and she's—she she don't GAF, uh, I guess. But she thinks she has leverage over Trump. She doesn't. He he dislikes her. Uh, you know, it's really hard to find a foreign leader that the United States is—a uh, nation that we're so close to where where the dislike between the two leaders is, is more obvious. He's shaking Xi Jinping's hand, the Chinese premier's hand. More than Merkel's. He's about to shake Kim Jong-un's hand more times in one dinner than he will shake Merkel's hand on Friday.
1: All right. Uh, Thank you. 10 to midnight on Saturday, 8 to 10 on Sunday. Or whenever stuff blows up. Right. And whenever stuff blows up. Right. Do you have anything going on that you would uh, like to pitch? Any... No. no. i just going to go and All right, got take it. care of the chickens. All right. You got it. All right. Coming up, Handle on the News. It's not a metaphor, by the way. Uh, yeah. Thanks,
0: Brian. Coming up, Handle on the News, Late Edition.
1: This is KFI. Handle on the News. Late Edition.
0: Handle on the News. Hello. Um, I was listening to the Bill Handel show. I'm Jewish
3: and Said in his own words, Jews don't win anything. And even if he was joking, again, I find it to be very wrong.
0: And now, here's Bill Handel.
1: All right. All right, guys. You ready to do it? Handel here in the morning, crew. And uh, we have some breaking news right now from Jennifer- the Associated
4: Press. Yeah, President Trump says North Korea wants a meeting as soon as possible and has praised Kim Jong un as very open and very honorable. They're going to have a love fest. You watch. It's
1: uh, going to be... He's going to like Kim Jong-un a lot more than he's going to like Merkel.
2: Maybe he already does. I was going to say, I think he already does. Yeah. He'll shake
1: uh, Kim Jong-un's hand. Uh, Yeah, he certainly will. Uh, Do you think he'll give uh, Kim Jong-un an air kiss? Certainly a lot sooner than he would do it with Merkel.
2: This is astonishing. It is. It really is. Although there have been... There have been other times when um, either the president has said something about North Korea positively or that North Korea is doing something positively, and then uh, Sarah Sanders has to walk it back right. a little bit. So,
1: Well, it looks like uh, as we hear detractors say, oh, the North Koreans are giving up nothing, uh, we're getting nothing about it. Uh, once the decision was made, once Trump said, I am willing to, uh, it's, it's been balls to the wall to make this thing happen. Uh, and I am, uh, I think it's a, it could very well be the best thing that Trump is going to do uh, during his
2: entire presidency. This could be his China. It could be his China. China.
1: It could be, are you ready for this? It could be his Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, my God. As as crazy as that is. Jointly with Kim Jong-un, right? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. let's see what happens. Henry Kissinger, uh, Yasser Arafat, uh, and... Uh, you had uh it's it's pretty scary stuff. Menachem Begin with uh it was uh with Sadat. It was Jimmy Carter? I think Jimmy Carter was it was three way the Peace Prize that year, wasn't it? All right, uh while well, Jennifer Jones Lee is looking that one up. We always check it out, don't we? Uh let's do it. Handle on the news, late edition, lead story. This morning we were following a uh, suspected shooter. It was a standoff in uh, Los Angeles where a fire broke a fire broke out earlier. Uh, it was uh, an active shooter and uh, he barricaded at home, and they got him arrested without incidents.
2: And this was a place, same place where two hours earlier there was a fire. Yeah. In the fire department. So I, we're assuming maybe he set a fire first before maybe. he. Well, he's in custody. As is the um, the man who ran over those people in Toronto.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this has gotten very weird very quickly.
4: We know his name is Alec Manassian. He's 25 years old from Ontario. And he apparently drove a mile on the sidewalk just mowing down people as he went along. And they're saying that there's no way this was an accident. But they don't think that this was an act of terrorism either and they say that the guy had recently sort of praised i guess the um the guy who um at uh, what was it Santa Barbara who had killed 6 people and injured 14 people in the shooting and stabbing and the vehicle attack that one
0: Oh okay now um, uh,
2: UCSB in Isla Vista yeah yes
4: yeah. yeah. and he uh, the guy's name was Elliot Roger and he said all hailed the supreme gentleman Elliot Roger on his Facebook account earlier this week
1: Yeah so it's We thought originally it was terrorism, and immediately the authorities said, we don't think this is terrorism related. Uh, It is related to a crazy guy who did this, and uh, all hail the supreme gentleman, Elliot Roger is what Manassian wrote just before the incident and posted it. And uh, this guy Rogers, one crazy dude, was. And uh, he was, it was a personal grievance he had. Uh, It's a subculture of men's rights group. Uh, that believe women don't want gender equality and have been brainwashed by feminist propaganda.
2: Elliot Rodger was basically really mad that he couldn't get dates. So he killed a bunch of people. Yeah, and then killed himself. And this guy, maybe we're going to find the same backstory for him.
4: They said he was kind of a loner, kind of stayed to himself, so... You know, we'll see. That is often
1: the case. There are very few gregarious student body presidents that go around killing people.
2: Police in Ventura say they, they kind of made a mistake in that incident that led to a father being stabbed to death while he uh, ate dinner with his family. If
0: I could get
1: Yeah, I don't understand with the police chief uh, why he said this. First of all, they got the call of uh, this homeless person uh, sort of ranting and raving, and they saw what he was doing. On television, they have a closed-circuit system where cops were watching and they deemed he was not a threat. That's number one. Number two is all of our patrol units were tied up on other calls. I would like to know at what level of importance those other calls were. For example, a burglary is uh, has uh, uh, been reported. Or a domestic violence a call has been reported where people come in and the cops were afraid someone's going to kill somebody. Where you have a, get, a crazy guy who's running around and just screaming and ranting and talking to himself. And he's been known to do that. And the police knew who he was.
2: I think the thing that and the, I don't the part know the of it answer. that I think the chief says was a mistake is that they were looking at the guy through the camera system. Yes. And it's that the 911 center staff canceled the response. So it wasn't just that officers were delayed getting there because they were doing other things. The 911 center said, don't even go out, even when you're done with your other work, don't go out. And they think maybe if they had responded eventually. That's
0: a
1: lot of maybes, and I don't know the answer. Because once it's been determined that someone is not a risk. Now, the issue becomes, was that a legitimate call that he was not a risk at that time? Because it seems pretty arbitrary. He's ranting and raving, and then he walks into a restaurant, pulls out a knife. And without any motivation, stabs uh, a, a customer in the neck. But
4: isn't their defense going to be, look, yeah, we, we saw that he was mentally I don't ill know. and he I was don't know. going I know. crazy, but we couldn't ever have predicted yeah. that he would have
1: done that's that. What, that's
4: what I would argue. And I don't know the
1: answer. I'm just, you know, I'm always throwing up other possibilities because that's just what I do. Let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, finish it up. This is
3: KFI. Okay.
1: All right, KFI handle here as we finish handle on the news late edition. Jennifer Jones Lee, Wayne
4: Resnick, and me. And we've heard a lot about the issues of homelessness for kids who are in college. Well, San Jose State's got an idea.
0: Let me go home.
4: Home, right to a tent on campus. Yeah. What do you think about a homeless encampment right on San Jose State's campus?
1: Well, at least it's not next to me. And where and where do they put this homeless people running around uh, and now they have to go someplace. I mean, obviously, you can't just ignore homeless people. And uh, if students can't bitch and moan about this, they can't because the choice is either you go to school or you don't go to school. It's not like they have bought property and the property values are decreasing. Uh, And little kids are running around, uh, elementary school kids that uh, may be part of your family going past a homeless encampment. None of that happens. Uh, And maybe that's the answer.
4: Well, apparently there are other schools around the country that have done this. San Jose State's president, she didn't go to the rally, but she said, hey, San Jose State's in active discussions with the community. And uh, the student experience will guide our work. And they've created already like a permanent food pantry. And they've got emergency housing there already. So
1: and that may be one of the answers as you do it at these uh, public schools. Now where is there enough land to do this?
4: I mean San Jose State's kind of sprawling maybe there is there's a it, it takes up a large portion of downtown San Jose because downtown San Jose is so cut up that the campus is sort of all over downtown but their problem is there's I can't think of a lot of space downtown well there has where to there be well sp- open- there has
2: to be space. Hey, uh, the ACLU is all up in Greyhound Bus Lines Grill because Greyhound lets ice enforcement officers come on their buses and look at everybody's papers.
1: Thank God in Greyhound you're gone. Now, I don't know what the ACLU is going to do because uh, Greyhound has the right to say you can get aboard our buses, so what are they going to do?
2: They want Greyhound to change their mind. And to start to refuse. That's what they want. They don't really have a legal angle here because it's been law for a long time that uh, Border Patrol agents within 100 miles of a border have broad leeway to stop cars and do investigations. And Greyhound is compliant.
1: For example, you go across the border, and I mean talking about uh, north of uh, San Ysidro, about 80 miles up, there's a Border Patrol stop. They can search your car for no reason. You don't, need, uh, you don't need probable cause. And so they can get aboard a Greyhound bus, and, and the ACLU, what, what are they going to do? File a lawsuit saying you have to change your mind? It's crazy. Yeah, I
2: think they're just trying to put pressure. Yeah. I don't know what kind of pressure they're going to put on Greyhound to get them to stop though.
4: All right. Well, there's some dark, rust-colored water coming out of the tap in Compton. But, uh-
1: Now you would think this is citywide if it's in Compton, it's all over, and why just Compton? Well, it has its own water district
4: and they do pipe flushing pretty yeah. regularly so
1: it's probably they do it it's probably their due for a pipe flushing is all there is to it, but it only has sixteen hundred customers this water district
2: Wow, that's a very small economy of scale to
1: provide very water small. to people yeah
2: uh well. This uh, little girl in Florida is four years old and she's fighting for her life after she accidentally swallowed some pool water. Oh, God. She was... uh, Her name's Eliana Grace and she was playing the pool with one of those pool noodles and doing the thing where you blow in one end, you know, and while she's doing that, some other kid came up on the other side and blew, and it the blew other it way. in the other direction uh. and blew a whole bunch of water down into her lungs. She threw up immediately. Yeah, but that doesn't get it out of your lungs.
1: Yep. And two days later, she has pneumonia. Uh, yeah, they call and, it
2: aspiration pneumonia.
1: And uh, she's on basically, she's on a breathing uh, apparatus, a respirator, and she may not survive. Oh no.
2: Well, um,
4: nearly three quarters of those devices that uh, they. Put up in you for certain things procedures scopes? yeah those
2: scopes might be tainted
1: bacteria bacteria look there's bacteria bacteria
2: well i remember bacteria. there was a big thing at ucla with right. their with the olympus scopes yeah dirty and
1: contaminated yeah, that was bad design though and what uh, this study says is uh, virtually all of them that are not throwaways they're not disposable which is why today almost everything is disposable yeah almost everything
4: they're talking the we're legs. talking about scalpels i mean all of them yeah it. yeah
1: there you buy or the hospital or the surgeons buy them in kits and it's thousands and thousands of dollars
4: because they say if you think about it like the the scope that they use for a colonoscopy or something like that the, the way that it's shaped, there are just some bacteria areas forms. where the bacteria can just right. get in there. And... and they have
1: to be very careful not to use the colonoscopy for endoscopy. <laughs> oh. Very careful. All right, I think we're done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, coming up, Latinos in the Border Patrol. There's a whole story there. This is KFI AM 640. Say a pie. <clears throat> Excuse me. The voice is getting a little raggedy today, and there's no good reason for it. I don't have a sore throat. I'm not harboring a cough or cold or anything. Very strange. All right. Uh, before we get to the Border Patrol story, uh, a quick announcement tonight on Conway's show. Remember Puskus, the Santa Ana police canine that took a suspect down in that televised police chase and lost some of his teeth? Puskus and his handler, Officer Luis uh, Galliana, will join Conway in studio tonight with an update. So you want to tune in tonight at 6 p.m. And if you have a police dog, incidentally, that lost its teeth, call 888-640-SMILE. Okay. Fair enough. Now, the Border Patrol. Some uh, interesting facts I want to share with you about the Border Patrol. And that is, um, when the Border Patrol was established in 1924... Latinos were a tiny, tiny minority. By 1989, uh, they made up about 36% of the border uh, of the agency. Now, Latinos make up more than 50% of the Border Patrol. And currently, the academy where Border Patrol people go, I mean, it's, uh, they're effectively peace officers, so they go to their own academy. 10 out of 11 people are Latino. It is being taken over by Latinos. But this makes a lot of sense. Why? Because uh, Border Patrol agents, for the most part, should be bilingual. Because they're dealing with Latinos that are crossing the border. Now, I have met some Border Patrol people, and I asked, and this is over the course of years that I've interviewed them, and I said, how many, I'm assuming everybody speaks Spanish, because not necessarily. A lot of the agents only speak a few words of Spanish. Come here, sit down, don't move, move over, put your hands up, put your hands behind your back, uh, that sort of thing. We're not gonna hurt you. I mean, a a few phrases, which is very different than uh, speaking fluent Spanish. But being a border patrol agent, so it's a given that bilingualism is obviously a huge advantage i would even argue it would it's necessary if i were running the border patrol i would say that that's it starting now agents have to be truly bilingual which means what for the most part they're going to be latino and of course i'll immediately the border patrol would immediately be sued for discrimination and the argument back there is nothing stops people from being bilingual. There are plenty of people who just have to really work at it. So, here is one of the major problems. And that is, people who are bilingual are, for the most part, Latino. Who, families are Latino, so they grew up in a Latino household. And of course, learned English in school and just hanging around. Much like uh, when I came to the United States. Uh, i didn't know english uh my native tongue was portuguese and my folks spoke portuguese although they were tried very very hard to learn english never quite got there never quite my mother has been here since 1957 still speaks like she got off the boat yesterday afternoon and uh my father you heard the interview with my dad a few times very heavy accent but when you have kids that are Latino, they grow up in Latino households and that's all they speak because the abuela only speaks Spanish. And they're why you can stay in Southern California, live here, and successfully live here without speaking one word of English. Spanish newspapers, Spanish radio, Spanish television, Spanish sign on stores where nobody speaks English, you can succeed. So what ends up happening is that kids that grow up in Spanish-speaking households have a lot of Spanish. And then, of course, they're learning English as they go to school, and you have truly bilingual people. Now, here is the rub, and that is so many of these Border Patrol agents who are Latino, who grew up in Latino households, have family members who are illegal. Someone in their family probably came over the border. And how do you deal with that? Maybe even parents who have come over the border illegally. And there's uh, one story about in the LA Times where they interviewed uh, one Border Patrol agent who was born in the United States. His parents came over illegally. And what do you do? I think the parents are legal now. But the question is, how do you enforce the law when your own family member has violated the law? And keep in mind, violating the immigration law is not the same as burglarizing a home. It is a violation of law, clearly. But why? what's the motivation here? Well, to support a family. I mean, one of the things uh, you... You have to take into account as these people come over for the economic opportunity of coming to America. Because when they come from Mexico or Salvador or Guatemala, they can't even eat. And so what would you do? You have a family to support. You have kids that have no chance of going to school or they can go the, or they're going to be thrown out of school or they forced to leave school in the sixth grade. Have no opportunity whatsoever. Who is not going to take the chance of coming to the United States? Illegally, because that's all you can do today. It is impossible to come over here legally. Impossible. So you have Latino Border Patrol agents who are dealing with family members. And the answer clearly is, we're here to enforce the law. As much as I feel for my own parents, we're here to enforce the law. How do you vet those people? How do you ask Border Patrol agents to arrest and be part of deporting someone who effectively is in their own family? Or if not in their own family, came to the United States for the same reason that mom and dad did. Or Uncle Jorge. I'm assuming all uncles are named Jorge, by the way. Coming from Mexico. I've never met an uncle who wasn't a Jorge. I don't know a lot of uh, Mexican immigrants, but all of them have an uncle named Jorge. All right, uh, let's move to another aspect of immigration, and that is vetting centers. And after the break, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you have wisdom teeth problems or a canine dog who's lost his teeth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Call 888-640-SMILE. All right, uh, this is uh, KFI Handle here and uh, the morning crew on a Tuesday. Here's your chance to win some money.
0: Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200, 200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200, 200.
2: The winner is notified with a phone call. If you don't answer it, they move on to somebody else. James in Fallbrook, he answered the call and won $1,000. Your next chance to win coming up next hour.
1: All right. Uh, One of the uh, campaign promises that President Trump made as candidate Trump is extreme vetting of everybody coming in the United States. Uh, Different from uh, Muslims not coming in the United States, which the Supreme Court is hearing this week, has already heard actually whether or not the Muslim ban is constitutional or straight-out discrimination. But let's move on, because we've already talked about that, and you bet we will when the court makes this decision. Extreme vetting. And this is for people coming into the United States, across, across the board, by the way. It doesn't matter where you come from. And I always asked, well, what does extreme vetting mean? Haven't quite figured it out. Uh, The Trump administration has not yet figured out what extreme vetting is. But uh, I'll know it when I see it, Justice Potter, in uh, describing pornography. Can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. Same thing with extreme vetting. And so what the president directed the Department of Homeland Security to do is to effectuate his ideas. Extreme vetting, as a matter of fact... He wanted the creation and announced the creation of a national vetting center that would bring extreme vetting to foreigners coming into the country. Now, the administration has not quite explained how it's going to vet travelers more extremely than the way they're already being vetted. There are a bunch of federal agencies already performing the task, and Trump has given the security people, the intelligence people, all the other agencies until August to submit proposals for how they're going to work with a new center and share information with it. And as a matter of fact, the White House said in a memo, the federal government's current vetting efforts are ad hoc, impedes our ability to keep up with today's threats. The NVC will better coordinate these activities in a central location. Well, they're not at all Ad hoc. The government has a vibrant, uh, and it has a pretty sophisticated and robust vetting system for foreigners coming in. As a matter of fact, there already is a unified state-of-the-art nerve center to screen travelers and share information. And that's among federal databases, and it's called the National Targeting Center in Virginia. Virginia. So I'm guessing that uh, the um, NVC uh, National Vetting Center will be right next to the National Targeting Center. And they'll be talking to one another. I'm, I'm guessing there'll be a corridor between the two. So make it easy. Just sort of a door on either side, a no walkway. Covered walkway, because sometimes it rains. And you know when it was established? Right after September 11, 2001. And the center is responsible for checking U.S.-bound cargo and foreign travelers by gathering information across federal agencies and assessing risks. And you know when they start screening travelers? As soon as someone books a flight to the United States from another country. We're not talking about people that show up here. We're talking about people that have booked a flight into coming here. Airlines automatically forward their reservations to the center. And then the vetting begins. Now, I don't know where to go with this. Uh, In fact, I'm going to argue that strengthening the existing programs, if they can be strengthened at all. I mean, how much more robust can it get? So when... uh, at candidate and then President Trump's statement about extreme vetting came out. I asked the question, "What what is extreme vetting? I mean, today, someone trying to, for example, immigrate. Just to give me an idea. Uh, someone trying to get asylum from another country. It's about 18 months to come in. It's not only the application. It's a full background check. It's a full search on databases, and if they're coming from countries that don't have databases, because they're coming from third world countries, let's say someone's coming from Chad or Yemen, I mean, they're not going to have databases over there. Then it gets even more difficult, and they do everything they humanly can. That's what our government does. So when you talk about extreme vetting, I believe that's simply a political statement, just to make the base feel better. At first, I'd go, wow, I want extreme vetting until I started looking into it and saying, it's already pretty extreme. How much more? All right, coming up uh, opioid lessons in school. How early do you go with that? I'll share that story with you. KFI AM 640. KFI Handle here. It is a Tuesday morning, April 24. Some of the big stories that we're covering. uh, The Toronto attack. Alec Manassian has been uh, charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. He uh, drove that van uh, up on the sidewalk for about a mile. Plowing through people. 10 people dead. uh, Injuring 15. And uh, it is not... Terrorism, that's what's so far. And they haven't even turned it over to the Royal Canadian Mount of Police. They're handling it as a local killing. And the Waffle House shooter uh, yesterday, uh, they got him. But we knew that was going to happen. I mean, the guy ran into the woods, and uh, he was naked when he ran in. So, you know, it's, it was just a question of time. 36 hours, actually. All right. Uh, we have been talking about you have, I have uh, discussion around uh, the water cooler is obvious, And the president has uh, the opioid epidemic, which has, of course, exploded. We no longer talk about a heroin epidemic particularly or a meth epidemic, even though that was a big problem. But you know, meth heads aren't your neighbors. Meth heads aren't the guy uh, that you work with or the gal that you work with. Uh, but opioid users... They're your neighbors. The abusers, those that are totally addicted to opioids, that's the person you work with because that has hit the mainstream. And we're not simply talking about a few hundred. Uh, there was a report that I was reading about, and I think it was the handle on the news. We didn't get to it. And that's with hate crimes and hate crimes have increased here in Los Angeles dramatically it went from 16 to 35 in a matter of 3 years per year i mean i mean that is a 200% increase but it's 35 people 35 incidences this is by the thousands and thousands in ohio alone in 2016 that's when the last uh, numbers have been compiled 4,329 people died of drug overdoses. Which is second only to West Virginia next door. Which is the biggest state in terms of drug overdose deaths. Isn't that lovely? So we're not talking about a small issue here. This is not seven. Uh, This is not 28 people. This is... Huge numbers. So Ohio came up with a plan. Now keep in mind, Ohio uh, prizes local control over schools more than any state in the union. It's number one among local school districts controlling the schools. And what it is doing is pushing for and making it law that opioid education should begin in kindergarten. And not scare tactics about drug use or campaigns that talk about how the drugs affect the body. What teachers are encouraged to do is to discuss real-life situation, ways to deal with them, to build social and emotional skills that experts say that, that reduce the uh, substance abuse. And here is what's going on. When you talk about the horrors of of opioid addiction or any kind of drug uh, problem. You're talk- Let's say you're talking to kindergarten kids. You're talking about their parents. The chances of talking to some kid in class whose parents are drug users. Because most opioid users, people come, who people become addicted, uh, they legitimately went on pain medication it's not like they became drug addicts and are going behind the school and smoking uh, a bunch of joints and it becomes a gateway drug. These are people that have bad backs. They've had surgeries. And they're handed opioids and the doctors simply say that's enough. And they have become addicted by this point. I mean, I just was in the hospital and I was on morphine 24-7 for a week. Now, it was the pain was so intense for me that uh, there was no issue of me being uh, dependent because it was just when you hurt that much, all it does is uh, lessen the pain. But they were really concerned. They said, We have to get you off this stuff as quickly as possible. Not because of addiction per se, but dependence. I don't like opioids, I hate them. Because I get sick, uh, I don't need those. I need, uh, as my doctor would say, if it was cocaine, we'd have a very different issue here. That would be a problem for you, Bill. But cocaine is not a painkiller. So right now we're safe. So you've got kids who have been involved and have parents. So here's what they do. They don't make value judgments. There's nothing wrong with these people who are drug users, opioid users. They're just people who've made a wrong choice. They're still good people. They're people that have been caught up in something beyond their control, but they're still good people. And it used to be where drug users were just horrible people. Just say no. Opiate users, meth users, heroin users... And there is a story that's out of the Washington Post. And it did an interview, or actually a Senate reporter, 25 school kids, kindergarten kids, are sitting on a carpet and helping their teacher make a chart. What's an adult, the teacher asks. What does the word trusted mean? And then she puts the two key words together. And let's talk about people who help you make healthy choices and feel safe trusted adults and now we're talking about understanding parents who do this and being trusted and i love the idea of starting this in kindergarten and doing it in such a way that you don't scare the hell out of these kids and it makes a lot of sense because parents and i sure parents would never say don't trust me And I don't think any parent in the world would move their kids over to trying opioids. I mean, that's just not going to happen. But a kid understanding that mom or dad or Uncle Fred is not a bad person, that there is really nothing inherently wrong with them morally, being opioid abusers, It's just the choices that they made, and the bottom line is good people make, can make bad choices. And so it starts in kindergarten, and it takes it in a whole different way. It's uh, fascinating stuff. I have no problem with that. You start in kindergarten. As far as I'm concerned, you can start teaching kids about opioid use in utero. Just sitting down, mom sitting down and talking to her stomach Marjorie used to do that no. when the kid oh yeah not about opioids but she would talk to the kids all the time when she was oh, pregnant I thought you meant <laughs> no 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 she would it was hilarious I'd watch her look down her stomach and talk Aww. your dad's really not a jerk even though he looks like one when you come out you're gonna have very strange questions about your father he's a good guy coming up organ donations Some stats that just came up I want to share with you because obviously you know how fanatic I am about organ donations. KFI AM 6. All right, KFI Handle here on a uh, Tuesday, April the uh, 24th, as we finish the show. Big stories that we're covering are going to be here during the day, the Toronto attack. Uh, Alec Manassian is, uh, has been arrested and charged with killing 10 people. Uh, that's the van that was plowing into a group of people. We have an idea of what his motive is now. Uh, he uh, is uh, copycatting uh, a killer of uh, that I think was in, uh, was it New York? Uh, where was it? In Santa Barbara, that was it. Thank you. And uh, a guy who was completely crazy who talked about women rights being a myth, and then he blew his own brains out after he did the same thing with a car. All right, anyway, let's um, talk about organ donation. I'd like to do that, and it's, as you know, it's one of the most important issues in my life, and not particularly for any reason, incidentally. I don't have a personal connection to organ donation, other than I've been an organ donor since you could become an organ donor, but uh, we have some research that has just come out that uh, about half as many donors out there that are deaths with potential, the people have potential to donate. In other words, twice the number of people die, than people donate to save them. And one of the problems of organ donation, there's nothing that's centralized about organ donation. These are nonprofits that tie together hospitals and lists and they're all over the country. There's no central system that connects. There's no central system that, in fact, oversees. And depending on geographically where someone is, they have a much better chance of an organ donation. For example, Steve Jobs, uh, he, remember, he had moved uh, to somewhere in the south, because, and he got a liver. And everybody's saying, oh, because he has all the money in the world. No, because he moved, he did the research and moved to the one place where the the chances were the biggest for having an organ donation. And it's, uh, things have changed. uh, Because historically, transplant surgeons were reluctant to accept organs from older patients, for example. Or organs that had to be transported a great distance. Uh, what they wanted were younger people who suffered a traumatic injury or illness resulting in uh, loss of brain function, brain death. And the circulation was maintained by life support and the organs were fine. Well, now what surgeons can do, because the technology's gotten better, uh, now they're able to transplant organs that were considered marginal before, older patients' organs, Organs transplanted over longer distances. Even after deaths where patients' heart has stopped. And that's the worst one. Because the clock starts ticking the second the heart stops. In terms of a uh, heart transplant. So there's far less time for the transplant. But cardiac cardiac deaths are about the same as brain deaths. So effectively... Potentially, that could double the number of organ donors. I mean, this is a very big deal as far as I'm concerned. And here's the reason. People are dying needlessly. There's no good reason for people to die because they need an organ. And I've often told the story, and I think there's an answer to it, and that is we're all automatically donors unless we opt out. It goes the other way. Because here's what happens, even if someone's an an organ donor, and let's say that person has traumatic brain injury and there's life support, and the family is there, well, the family can reverse the organ donor request from the person who is about to die, or is already dead, brain function-wise. The family can actually reverse that. And you go, how does that work? Now the good news is about ninety percent of people who who okay organ donation is right. The only place really is on your uh, driver's license, right there, the little stamp, which used to be a little. Uh, it used to be just a uh, a little adhesive, uh, little circle you'd put on that came off very easily. Well, there are moves afoot. New York, for example, has uh, put on a uh, has. Uh, initiated a website where people can sign up, and it's done with voter registration. Now, can you imagine if it was done at the DMV offices? Big sign that says, please be aware that uh, you are automatically enrolled in the organ donor program unless you opt out. Here is the form, and when you apply for the driver's license, do you want out? versus do you want in? How many more organ would you think would be available for donation? See, there are a couple things that make no sense in our society. Allowing kids to starve to death, allowing hungry kids, and allowing people to die because of the need of organ organ donation. I just don't get it.
6: Gary, are you an organ donor? Yes. I think everything except my eyeballs I think you literally listed your eyeballs as
1: no. As my
6: exemption, yeah.
1: Why your 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 eyelids are closed when you die? If you're an open casket, I gasket.
6: feel like I read a book at one point. No, I'm not worried about people seeing me without my eyeballs. I'm worried about my eyeballs seeing for the rest of eternity. I don't think they do eyeballs. Sure, they do. I don't think they do eyeballs. Well, not the entire. I ball. think they do
1: corneas. Yeah. And that's, I think that's it.
6: What if, what if the cornea, though, is somehow beyond just the nerves attached to my brain, like the window into my spirit? And I, I see things. I don't think, I the, don't want to see. I don't think the cornea, like if
1: I, I don't if, think the cornea does have nerves attached
6: my, to my brain. If my corneas went into your head, yes, I don't want to see that. You
1: wouldn't see it. You know why? There's no mirror. No, because you're dead.
6: That's what I'm saying. I feel like there's something else there. It's like if I take a
1: photo of you, I'm taking part of your soul.
6: No, that's crazy. Oh okay. now, now
1: you're getting crazy. I feel better. What are you doing today? Uh
6: well we're gonna finish up uh talking about what the president is saying with the president. Both uh Trump and Macron just held their news conference. I think they're still. Is he speaking, speaking English, by
1: the way? Who? Macron or is he speaking French?
6: Uh I didn't hear him speak. He's yeah. he's talking right now. I mean uh, he speaks
1: fluent English. Spectacular English. Yeah. So I think
6: didn't Brian Suits call it Impeccable. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we'll also talk. Do you ever play bunco? I've never, I've never understood no. what bunco is, and now I know it's just a term for a sex party. Oh, yeah, so I didn't anybody, know that.
1: If anybody says they're playing bunco, it's all sex parties. Oh, stuff. interesting. No, yeah. Uh, now you know what a bunco part of the bunco squad is. Yeah, that's the police sure. squad squad, right? But playing Bunko is... Totally
6: different meaning. Everybody has been getting it wrong for so long. Got it. Uh, We'll also talk about this uh, standoff down in, I think it was the Harbor Gateway area, where what they thought was a house fire actually turned into a uh, a shooting that they didn't see coming. So we'll talk about all that stuff.
1: All right, got a lot going on. Gary and Shannon coming up. Uh, Gary, have a good show, sir. I don't know if you mean that, but thank Uh, you. Actually, I don't. Okay. But it's... (laughs) No. Yeah. uh, It's sort of just the way I end the show. I know see you tomorrow everybody okay. handle in the morning crew kfi am 640